this evening to uh, speak to you. Um, and uh, girls, I don't know if you'll be able to see the whiteboard. I don't want to crowd you out. You might want to sit together wherever you can. We're going to read in our Bibles this evening from the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to invite you to read along with us, follow along there, if you will. Um, the subject we are studying this evening is, is, uh, is the subject of humility. Some years ago, the Lord uh, began trying to teach me about this, and I decided that I would look up all the verses in the Bible that I could find that dealt with humility. And so I started reading and reading and making notes and, and marking the verses down and, and uh, typing out all the verses. And I found about 30 passages in Scripture. And I thought, wow, this is a big subject. And this is very important. Obviously, the Lord uh, wants us to know about this. And as I was reading my Bible through afterwards, I began to find more. You know, when you read, you think, you, you think you've got this list. And as you read more, you say, oh, I missed that one, and I, oh, I missed that one, and I missed that one, and oh, no, how could there be all of these? And I kept adding to the list, and I have to tell you, I don't think I've completed my list of verses on the subject of humility. I, I've got to go back and do it again, because I think we're close to 50 passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament that, that, that deal with the subject. And I'm asking myself the question, then, why is it the Lord has really call this to my attention. And of course, there's this still small voice that says, you really need this. I say, oh, okay. Obviously, I really need to know. I need this for my own benefit. Do you ever, does the Lord ever really talk to you strongly about something because it's something you really need? And then, and then uh, there was a, 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 another a prompting. I, I, I think these are uh, not voices, not voices in your head, but a prompting to consider the fact that our generation needs this. That I'm wondering if this is the proudest generation that's ever lived. I was pastoring a church overseas in the States when there was the first moon landing. Okay, if it really happened. Uh, the first moon landing. 1969, and I distinctly remember one of the officials at NASA saying, now that we have done this, there's nothing we can't do. And I thought, ooh, oh, that's dangerous. You don't make boasts like that. And of course, you know, the, the rocket they've been trying to set off uh, here recently must have wet fuse or something because it's just not going. <laughs> They're hoping for this week. Uh, I don't know if the Lord's going to rain on their parade or not, but but the boastfulness of our generation. Well, let's pray, and then I'll show you a text along that line, but our text is actually in Philippians chapter 2, but we're going to look at a verse or two in Proverbs. But let's ask the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we are increasingly aware that we need you to work in our hearts, and we need the Holy Spirit to be convicting us of sin and enabling us through what you teach us in your word, to forsake a sin and draw near to the Lord, to have a fear of God, to have a love for the Lord, have a desire for the Lord. And we, we realize a little bit, we want to know more, we want to experience more of God giving grace to the humble. We know too much about the Lord resisting the proud. That's experience. But we want it to be experience the experience of obedience and submission and yieldedness to the Lord, that you do give grace to the humble and you enable us to serve you in a capacity and a depth with uh, fervency and zeal more than ever we've known before. We just want to thank you, Lord, that you do these things in our hearts by your word. And Lord, we are probably unaware that much of what we do is done in the flesh, and it's done with pride, self-confidence, self-esteem. We're praying, Lord, that we could grow away from that, grow downward, put root downward and bear fruit upward. So we ask you now to teach us and feed us, instruct us, 
from your word this evening, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you're already there in Philippians chapter 2, can you hold your place and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> this is one of the texts that the Lord uses to speak to us about the problem with pride. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the, off the earth and the needy from among men. So here are four verses. These verses have in common this problem with pride. You see that particularly in verses 12 and 13. The generation pure in their own eyes have high self-esteem. They think highly of themselves and yet is not washed from their filthiness. In verse 13, this generation, the same generation, have lofty eyes. They think highly of themselves. They lift up their eyes. They think they're somebody special. And their eyelids are lifted up. But did you notice in verse 11 that this generation is disrespectful toward their parents? That's what it says here. Generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. I get a real blessing when I go to churches and I see children showing affection toward their parents or their grandparents. I saw that this morning. I love to go to a church where a teenager hugs mom or dad in public. Did you know that's a rare thing anymore? There are children that if their parents take them to school, they want their parents to let them out two or three blocks early so that none of their friends see who their parents are. They're embarrassed about their parents. That's an expression of pride. They think it would be too, too lowly for them uh, if anyone saw who, their, saw who their parents were. And then when we get down to verse 14, we see another element of pride, and that is a viciousness or a ferociousness toward others. There's a generation whose teeth, teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Don't we live in a generation where people behave violently toward strangers. Sometimes people they know, but oftentimes they can hit someone in the street or commit murder against a person they don't even know, never met him before in their life. And road rage, I wonder how many of you, have any of you ever suffered uh, somebody abusing you in traffic because they thought you didn't do what they wanted you to? Hold your hand up, I won't tell anybody. Nobody, am, I only, am I the only one that that uh, suffers that, but this is, this, is, this is descriptive of a generation. Now, it could be that every generation would say, well, that's our generation, but it certainly is true of ours. So I want you to turn back with me to the New Testament, and we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2. Follow along with me here from Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then watch verse 3 down to verse 8. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, and that word lowliness, if you mark your Bible at all, you might want to put a line under that word lowliness because it's the very word for humble or humility. It's the same as the word down here in verse 8 that speaks of Christ humbling himself in lowliness of mind. And listen closely to this. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Let each esteem. Let each put a value on others as being higher than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, <clears throat> but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we're really interested in this passage of Scripture because the Lord Jesus is given us in the Word of God as the perfect example of humility. Humility is a, an interesting word. I asked Pastor if we could have a whiteboard uh, because the word humility, the word humility is related to this word here. I think it's probably a Latin word originally. What is humus? It's a what? Dirt. So he says it's dirt. That's what it is. Humus is dirt. And the Lord overruled the construction of this word because humility or lowliness is like dirt. It's down low. So if I'm going to be growing in the Lord and the Lord's going to be working in me, he's going to take me down to grassroots. He's going to take me down to just seeing myself as dirt. When the psalmist said, I'm a worm, he was talking about that. When Paul said that he was less than the least of all the saints, when he said he was the chief of sinners, what was happening was he was realizing that it is God's work to take us down lower and lower. I put up a couple of uh, simple graphics up here. Because when we are in our natural state, we have the idea that we're the best there is, and we think we're going to get better and better. And so we look up and we say, wow, I am just so great. If anyone just really knew how great I am, you know, they would bow down before me, they'd bow and scrape, they'd give me rewards, they'd think so highly of me, they'd put my name up in lights. And like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, who said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? But you know, Nebuchadnezzar had not built Babylon. If you read up on what historians say, they will tell you that the city was actually in building to that state, the palaces, the whole thing like that for several generations, and when he gets to the top of the, of the peak, the pinnacle, he says, look what I've done. Well, it really wasn't that way. He really had not done that, but people like to boast. It's a human trait, it's part of human nature, that we like to be thought to be the cat's whiskers, the best there is. We are just, we are just the best there is. And that is part of human nature. I think that probably Jacob felt that way when he began the journey back to Canaan, where the family was, and he took his wives and his slave wives, what would we call them, concubines, his, his other wives, two true wives, and then two of their maidservants that he'd born children to, and all of his children, and his flocks, and his herds, and his wealth, and he started back feeling pretty good about himself. Boy, I went up here, I went up here to Laban, to Syria, and I went by myself, and I really didn't have anything. I slept on a rock, put my head on a rock on the way up there, and now look at me. Boy, just look at me. And the Lord met him, and an angel wrestled with him, and crippled him in one leg, and said to him, okay, Jacob, what's your name? Oh, it's Jacob. What does that mean? It means trickster. It means, I sometimes think Jacob was the most Jewish of all the Jews. Well, maybe not. But somebody who could get everything I could for myself, a schemer, conniver, I've been a crook. I have done all I could to become wealthy and famous, and look what I've got. I'm the best, and the Lord says, well, 
when, when Jacob would not turn loose the angel, he said, well, you've been Jacob, but I'm going to change your name. And he changed it to Israel. And what does that mean? Prince of God. But he had to cripple him to do it. Have you thought about that? Because what the Lord does is he teaches us to go down step after step after step after step through life and he humbles us and he keeps on doing this step after step after step after step further and further down and sometimes sometimes it's health that he uses to do that the apostle paul says in fact let me show you this turn with me to second corinthians chapter 12 our text is not here we will not stay here long but second corinthians chapter 12 this is the most unusual verse possibly in the bible grammatically and the reason it is so unusual is because the first phrase is repeated as the last phrase. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now you've noticed that, haven't you? In reading through your Bible, this is the only verse that repeats itself First phrase, last phrase, exactly in the Bible. And Paul is saying here to us, I'm going to tell you this twice. He's saying, I'm going to tell you this twice. God told me so many things. And we have evidence of that in all the epistles that Paul wrote. God has revealed so much to me. And so I wouldn't be puffed up. So I wouldn't think too highly of myself. The Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me so that I wouldn't think too highly of myself. So why does the Lord do that? Why is it that the Lord does this working in our lives to take us down further and further? Why does the Lord do that? Because he says in Scripture... In fact, let's look at those two verses. Look with me at James chapter 4. In the fourth chapter of James and verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. God gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God gives grace to the humble. So why does the Lord take us down lower and lower and lower, humbling us? Why does he do that? Because he blesses people more when they're down at the bottom. He gives grace to the humble. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 because the Lord moved Peter, the Holy Spirit moved Peter to write very similar words. It's a little bit different. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Well, here we are up here. Here I am up here. Here's Buddy Smith, the proud man. And God says, I'm going to resist you, because as I do, you'll be humbled. And as you go down, further and further and further in life, the experiences of life take you further and further and down, I've got blessing for you down here. We don't think about that, do we? Because the world thinks differently. They think you get to the top, and then you buy a ladder and push it further up and go further up, and you just try to become rich and famous and successful. And, uh, you know, if you watch Christian television, you will find that most of the Christian television programs advocate this. Promote yourself. One of my friends here in Australia went to a spiritual leadership conference here in Australia in an independent Baptist church. And the keynote speaker said, if you publish literature, 
here in Australia, you publish literature to hand out to people. Make sure your picture is on every page. What? Why? Well, people have to see you. And they have to look up to you. And they have to think highly of you. And you need to encourage that. You need to promote that. And my friend said he went out of the meeting in tears and said, Oh, Lord, if what that fellow said is true, I've had it wrong all these years. But, you know, it's not true. Because the Lord's plan is rather for us to cooperate as the Lord works in our lives. It's not easy, is it? If the Lord sees fit to take us down in some way, to lower us down further and further like this, we, we naturally resist. We're human beings. We have an old nature that doesn't like to be taken down lower. But the Lord says that's where blessing is. In fact, look again at 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. I should say to you that that word resist carries the thought of God raising up an army against the proud. Oh, my. The Lord has thousands and thousands of angels. And sometimes he uses hornets for an army. And I have to tell you, he has a navy, too. Jonah found out about that one. He didn't expect to spend time in a, in a biological submarine, did he? But the Lord has a navy, and he's an air force, and there's a coast guard. And I expect he has some, he has some SAS troops, too. Because the Lord has a way of resisting our pride, my pride, your pride. But the next part of the verse goes on to say, and giveth grace to the humble. Now, this word grace... If we were to take time this evening, oh, I wish we could, we can't. If we were to take time this evening to look through the uses of this word grace, one of the key truths that's in this word is the word enablement. God actually gives more help. He gives more strength. He gives more understanding. He gives more ability to the person that says, yes, Lord, I'll go down. And then look at verse 6. Verse 6 in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So can you look at this this way? That what's happening is the Lord has his hand over us. And if we had time this evening, it would be really interesting for us to talk about the hand of God. Because the hand of God is protective, isn't it? It's also powerful in chastening sometimes. It's powerful in guiding us. So humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God as he works in our lives over the length of our lifetime, taking us down lower and lower, that verse says that he may exalt you in due time. So the, so the hand of God is over us, but the hand of God is also under us, that he may exalt us in due time. And that exalting or lifting up is what you find. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Here in Philippians chapter 2, you find here that the Lord Jesus, we're going to look more closely at some details here in a moment. It says here in verse 8 <clears throat> about the Lord Jesus, And being found in, fa in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now this teaches, something, teaches us something really, really important here in regard to being humbled under the mighty hand of God, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us in due time just like he did the Lord Jesus. There was never a person on earth that was as humble or humiliated as the Lord Jesus was. Never a person. But there's never a person that the Lord exalted as highly afterward as he exalted the Lord Jesus. So there's a few principles here from God's word that we know it is, that it is God's will. Because of the stubbornness of my heart, because of pride, it's God's will to work in my life, to bring me down 
in my own estimation, lower and lower and lower in order to exalt me, to make me more usable, to give grace, to make it possible to do more and more for the Lord in time to come. It's probably 20 or 30 years ago I came across in the Reader's Digest magazine the story of a man who, <clears throat> whose hobby was paragliding. It sounds like a funny word, doesn't it? But he, he would like to get up in the mountains and he would find a place <clears throat> where he could un unpack the parachute he had. It was a rectangular parachute and jump off a cliff and fill his parachute with air and glide around in the mountains in the Alps. He just loved to do this. And as he did this, uh, the updrafts would carry him up higher and he would get up where it almost might be necessary to have an oxygen bottle to be able to breathe. He was so high up. And he told in the story he wrote that he was one day soaring up in the Alps when he hit a downdraft. Now, downdraft is a column of air that because of atmospheric pressure or temperature, the updrafts and downdrafts in a thunderstorm absolutely dropped the bottom out from under him, and he said he began to fall. He was way high above the mountains. He wasn't in under danger of hitting a mountain, but he said he began to fall, and he said he was falling so fast, the downdraft, the air moving downward was falling so fast, moving downward so fast, that his parachute collapsed. Now, the human body in free fall will fall at a speed of about 200 kilometers an hour. And he was falling so fast, roughly 200 kilometers an hour, that the parachute just went all limp. And so he began to shake the risers, the cords, to try to catch some air and get out of this free fall. And he's just falling like a rock, falling this way, and he's looking at his parachute, and he's shaking the risers, and he's getting nowhere, and he's thinking, I'm going to hit the ground, or I'm going to hit those trees down there, and I'm going to die. <coughs> he's a bit panic-stricken. But he said as he was falling, he realized that there was a hawk caught in the downdraft too. And there beside him in the downdraft is a hawk with his wings out. Doesn't appear to be worried at all. Hmm. How many times are you or I as a Christian caught in a downdraft? Any of you in a downdraft right now? Some of you say, I know what an overdraft is. <laughs> They're similar. <laughs> I'm caught. I'm falling. I'm ruined. I'm going to go splat. There's going to be tomato sauce everywhere down there very soon. I'm in real trouble. Help. What am I going to do? Well, this hawk is in the downdraft with him, a fellowship in free fall. And here he is falling and falling and falling and falling. And he said he was getting close to the bottom of the valley floor. And he said he's watching this hawk. And he said he noticed that the tips of the feathers on the wings of the hawk began to flutter. And he thought he's getting some air. And he said, all of a sudden, at the last possible moment, he hit the bottom of the downdraft and was swept out and away and up. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, the hawk and I are climbing an updraft equal to the downdraft, and we're being carried up higher and higher. He said, it took us higher than we started off when we fell into the downdraft. Now, wait a minute. Do you see the picture here? There's a parallel with humility. When the Lord takes us down, brokenness, downward, crashing, it looks like everything's over. Joseph, when his brothers despised him, well, that was the start of the humiliation process. Then when they took him, they captured him, and they put him in a pit, and then they sold him to slave traders and shipped him off to Egypt. That's all downhill, isn't it? It's all going down. It looks like, what's going to happen here? I'm my father's favorite son. I had the coat of colors. The coat, the technicolor coat, I had the coat of many colors. And my brothers took it off me. And now they've sold me into slavery. And when he gets there, he's bought by an Egyptian whose wife falsely accuses him. And Potiphar puts him in prison. And there he is in prison. And though God honors and gives him tokens for good in the, in the prison keeper, the jailer, seeing that he was a man of integrity, he has two new friends, the butler and the baker, and they have dreams, and he interprets their dreams. One is executed by Pharaoh, the other is restored to his position, 
and promptly forgets Joseph. Joseph says to him, remember me now. When you get back in your position, remember me. I'm falsely accused. I shouldn't be here. Come on, remember me. Promptly forgets him because he wasn't to the bottom yet. And so it is with you or me. The Lord may take us down and take us down and take us down and take us down and take us down because it wasn't time yet for Joseph to be appointed to the Ministry of Agriculture, to be the Pharaoh's right-hand man. And the Lord exalted him, didn't he? You, you, know, you see this over and over, don't you? You find it over and over in Scripture. David, rejected by Saul. Saul was so jealous. Saul, do you know how long Saul pursued David, chased him up and down the mountains of Judah? How long that was? Fifteen years. It was humbling. David even pretended to be a madman at the gates of Abimelech. Pretended to be a madman. He, he got so low down. His men even wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him at one point. There wasn't time yet for the Lord to exalt him. So, so, so these lessons in regard, in regard to this. God is working humility in our lives. There's a reason for that. It's because he wants to give grace to the humble. He wants to do things in our lives that he can't do as long as we're full of ourselves. Now we need to go back here to Philippians chapter 2 and I'll share a few thoughts with you out of this because there's another illustration we need to use over here. And let me encourage you to do your own study. It's always so good for you to say, okay, I'm going to start making my own list of verses that teach us about humility. And here's what I want to say to you. I, will, we won't, I won't keep you long. I want to say to you that the Lord Jesus is the perfect example of humility. There's something, there's something that we do wrongly, and it's not a major, major, major error, but it does hinder us in learning about humility and the Lord working humility in us. And, and that is that we confuse some good qualities, good Christian qualities, character qualities, with humility. Humility is not the same thing quite as repentance is. Repentance. Knowingly, Choosing God's side against ourselves when there's sin involved. Facing up to the change of mind that affects us in behavior and conduct and speech. That word repentance needs to be studied in depth. We need to read every verse in the Bible on repentance. When I was about grade four or five, I found out in the backyard where we lived in a little town, my dad was telephone repairman there, I found a nail that when I was a little boy looked that big. You know, it was probably not about that big. But you know how little boys are. Little boys think that things are really big. And I picked that nail up, and I don't know what was going through the empty space above the eyebrows there, okay? I don't know what was going through there. But I thought to myself, boy, a fella could throw one of these a long ways. Not a good idea when you live behind some shops. We had a yard that was pretty good size, maybe as big as the auditorium here, and I thought, you know, I think I could throw this a long ways, and so I did. I threw it. And on the other side of the alley, there was a window that went crash, tinkle, 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 like this. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no is a good beginning to repentance. Oh, no. What have I done? The police will come and arrest me. They'll throw me in jail for a thousand years. I'll never get out. And I'm thinking of all these terrible scenarios, you know. <clears throat> so I went in the house, and I was leaking tears pretty good by that time. <clears throat> went in the house, my mother said, what did you do? Did you hurt yourself? I said, no, 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 I broke a window. She said, you didn't break a window in the house. No, worse than that, Mom, I broke a window. <laughs> she said, let me see. So she came out with me, my mom, greatest mom in the world. She took me out to the alleyway, and she said, oh, you did, didn't you? You know what shop that is? And I said, no, I don't know. Grade four or five kids. She said, well, that's a chemist shop. 
and you are going to have to go up there around the corner to the front of the shop and you're going to have to go in and tell the chemist that you broke his window. I said, oh, mom, they lock me up, they lock me up. You know, you, you, you know you, you, are, are, do any of you relate to this? Do any, you know what this is like, you know? But my mother, bless her heart, she wouldn't cover for me and she wouldn't let me off the hook. And she said, you go. Well, that was the longest block I ever walked in my life. And eventually I got up there and turned in the chemist shop and I thought, I'll be brave. And I'll tell him, <laughs> it didn't work. And, the, and I went back to the counter at the back and the chemist stepped up and said, what do you need, son? <laughs> I said, I broke your window. He said, you did what? I said, I broke your window. So he went and looked and he came back. He said, you sure did. You really did break my window. And I said, my mom says that I've got to pay for it. Now, now, in those days, you were getting good pay if you got 25 cents for mowing the lawn. How long is this going to take me? And so, bless her heart, she held me to it. <clears throat> and the chemist showed mercy because I came and told him the truth. You know, repentance has such blessings to it when you repent. And because I recognized he was right, I was wrong. God's right, I'm wrong. And I dealt with that that way. He said to me, <clears throat> come here, son. <clears throat> you sit over here at the soda fountain and I'll buy you a Coke. And that's what happened. And I learned lessons out of that that have lasted me my whole life. Listen, I want to tell you, when you do something wrong, face up to it. Whatever it is, face up to it. But that's not humility. That's honesty. Truthfulness. There's repentance there, but it's still not quite humility, according to Philippians chapter 2. You find examples in Scripture and examples in life of modesty, but it's still not quite the same thing as humility. <coughs> I have a friend. <coughs> I'm an amateur woodcarver. He's a professional woodcarver. His friend's name is Kevin Banting, lives at Maryboro. And Kevin does the most amazing wood carvings I've ever seen in my life. He's the best in Australia, without a doubt, maybe one of the best in the world. And you know what he calls his wood carvings? He calls them decorative firewood. That's a good name. It's modesty, but still not quite humility. Because I want to show you here in Philippians chapter 2 what humility is. And if you look with me there, in these verses, look at verse 5, please. Where the Lord says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the exhortation. Think like Christ. Because if we think like the Lord Jesus, who, being in the form of God, we usually use that word form to mean shape, but it's not here talking about shape, it's talking about character. Who, being very God of very God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that word robbery is such, a, such an interesting word. It is the word, a form of the word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, for the rapture shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And that word, harpagmos, harpazo is in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This is harpagmos, very similar, and it means to claim eagerly for oneself. To seize and carry away. That's the thought that's there in the rapture. And that's what's going to happen. It can happen tonight before the service is over. When I first heard about the rapture, it scared my socks off. I thought, boy, if the Lord comes tonight, I'm sunk. I'm gone. I'm finished. I'm not ready. And it's what the Lord used to bring conviction on my heart that I needed to be saved, which I was before very long. But here the word is used in the sense that the Lord Jesus, being very God, a very God, looked at his own character and the reputation he had in heaven among those who really knew who he was, that he looked at that and he said, I'm not going to claim it for myself. I'm not going to claim what really belongs to me. I'm not going to lay claim to it. I'm not going to seize it. I'm not going to hold on to it. Humility has to do with turning loose of what is rightfully yours. Some of you may have 
sat in a solicitor's office when they read the will. <coughs> of a loved one that's deceased. And you've heard in the will what you're entitled to, what really belongs to you, what is rightfully yours. And you may have even sat there when someone else in the family protested what was in the will, the terms of the will. And they said, you can't have that. I'm having that. I'm telling you that the Lord Jesus' humility was of such a degree that he turned loose of what was rightfully his. He rightfully deserved the worship of every creature in the universe. He rightly deserved for men to praise him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Did you know there's a verse in scripture that says he is the prince of princes as well? He rightly deserved to have all of that and he yielded up. He turned loose of it. We really have difficulty with that, don't we? If something's rightfully mine, I have a tendency to fight for it. But the Lord Jesus' humility was of such a degree that he turned it loose. and didn't lay claim to it. Read the verse again with me. In verse number 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that was his entitled right to be seen and known and praised and worshipped as being equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't fight for his reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. <clears throat> this word servant is the word that's the equivalent of the Old Testament word for bond slave. Someone who yields up all his rights. He's come to the place where he's to be released from service in the home. And he says, no, I, I give up my freedom. I yield it up. I will stay with my master. I love my master. And the master would take him and bore his ear through with an awl to mark him as being someone who gave up all his rights and would serve for the rest of his life. That's the word. And it says here in this verse, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Can I tell you, dear friends, that no one knows humility like Christ does. He came down from heaven to be a man, to be a servant, to lose his reputation, to be slandered and falsely accused. The Lord Jesus turned loose of one aspect after the other of the things that he deserved that were rightly his. And when you look at what scripture says here about where it took him, he became obedient unto death. Death is entirely foreign to God. He's never experienced death. He does not fear death. The Lord Jesus did not have any experience with death, but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And of all the forms execution there are in the world this is one of the worst maybe the very worst you know for the Jew it was not just being nailed to a tree it was that whoever was hanged on a tree was under a curse from God so a person that was hanged on a tree no one would ever want to trust him to be their Messiah, their Savior. In fact, that's the reason, I'm sure, why the Jews wanted the Romans to kill the Lord Jesus. They could have strangled him, stabbed him, could have stoned him to death, but they didn't want Jewish execution. They wanted a Roman execution because it would make the Lord Jesus and their thinking unable, unqualified to be the Messiah of the Jews. What Jew would ever trust a crucified Messiah? That's what they hoped for. And the Lord Jesus, knowing that was coming, let it come. He could have stopped. He could have called 12 legions, more than 12 legions of angels to stop it. But he let it happen. That's what humility is. Yielding himself up. Losing all his rights. Can you imagine what an awful, terrible humiliation it would be to have the hair of your beard plucked out possibly the hair of your head, to be beaten with whips on his back, to have a crown of thorns on his brow and blood coming down in his face and his eyes, to be stripped. I'm, I'm sorry, folks, I'm not trying to offend you, but to be stripped naked and hanged on a cross in public view of everyone, no wonder they mocked him. 
that made a fun of him. And that's what the Jews intended. That's what they wanted. That the Lord Jesus humbled himself even to the death of the cross. That's as far down as you could go. I, I, I wanted to draw this here, and I'm going to do this. We won't spend time here. There are people in our world that delight in nothing, nothing more than throwing others off a precipice. And the Jews that crucified the Lord Jesus and rejecting him pushed him off the precipice of humiliation. They wanted nothing more. They wanted nothing that was what they wanted more than anything else was to insult Jesus of Nazareth. And so they pushed him off. This is called humiliation. And there are people that love to humiliate other people. But remember, the mighty hand of God is overruling this. You may experience this <clears throat> sometime in your life. Well, there will be someone at work. I hope it's never in your family. Someone at work. I hope it's never in your church. God willing, Lord, please forbid it. But there are people that just love to humiliate other people. They like nothing better than to put people down. And I have to tell you, they will do it again. And again, and again, there are people that will climb down the precipice to push you off again. That's a sad thing, isn't it? The people that despise Daniel would do everything they could to put him down. But we need to remember that at the bottom of the precipice is still the hand of God that as we yield and submit to the Lord, he can exalt us in due time. He can lift you up in due time. We really are in the hand of God. The Lord is saying to us, Did you, I, I, I've got to stop. I can't tell you more. I've got to stop. But in the scripture, when you look up the word humble, you'll find that more verses say, humble yourself than any other way humility is addressed. So basically what it is, is I recognize that God wants to do this in my life, and I agree and say, okay, Lord, I accept this. I see what you're doing, and I agree, and I believe it's good what you're doing, and you have good plans in mind, and you're doing great things. Yes, I will. I'll go with you. I'll submit, and I'll submit, and I'll submit, and I'll submit, and I'll submit and give way to the Lord because I know the, the everlasting arms are underneath. I know that the mighty hand of God is there. Just like we read here, let's read this and we'll close Philippians chapter 2. You see verse 9? Wherefore, that's the same equivalent, the equivalent of the word therefore. As a result, the end result of the humiliation of Christ is God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Lord is saying this is the process. Spiritual growth has to do with getting down lower and lower and lower and lower because God has exaltation there. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. 
There's no resurrection without death. Death to self, death to my plans, to my career, death to my goals and aims in life and letting God work these things out in my life because the Lord has better things in mind. That's the way he works. So for us to embrace that, I, I want to just leave this thought with you this evening. Now, if I've confused you in any way, please come to me and talk to me about this. I don't want to do that. I'm not telling any of you to go jump off a building. Please don't do that. Okay. But you're going to find that the Lord addresses us on this subject in Scripture to be willing to go down. The way up is down. I say to young preachers, God may greatly use you if you can get down low enough. That's a lesson for Sunday school teachers and a lesson for youth workers, a lesson for us pastors that God can greatly use anyone if they're willing to go that way. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I know I often feel like I didn't finish the sermon or I, did it, I didn't finish it well, but we're thankful, Lord, that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop talking to our hearts when we go home. And when the preacher stops talking, often the Lord really starts talking to our hearts. And since I don't know and can't know, I need not know what's going on in anyone's life. I don't know what pressures anyone is under. I don't know what sort of thorns in the flesh. I don't have any ideas about these things, but Lord, your word teaches these things we've looked at tonight. We thank Lord how you used Daniel so greatly and he was humbled. And Joseph in the scriptures, we think about David, we think about others, we think about Paul with the thorn in the flesh. And so we're just asking, Lord, that we can learn lessons in this regard, that you'll be working in our lives more and more and more. We want to be faithful and fruitful servants of God, but our ego gets in the way, and our pride and our self-esteem gets in the way. And so we pray that you'd help us to yield those things up to the Lord, be willing to turn loose of all our rights, I just submit to you and let you do your work in our lives the way you see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.